0: You know, the term autodidact has sort of intrigued me for the past few years. I remember the term being referenced on the Joe Rogan podcast by Howard Bloom. And the tide—the definition of it basically means learn how to teach yourself. And I always thought how how profound that may sound only because you know, there's a lot of these teachers that are sort of failing our students nowadays in the elementary schools, in the public school in particular. And I figured the most important teacher would probably be experience. And the only way to go about learning a few things is if you go and make mistakes. But me personally, i rather learn it through literature. See, that's the problem with a lot of the system that's going on right now with the Department of Misinformation. You know, back then in World War II, they called it the Ministry of Truth. And that could possibly be one of the biggest obstacles people may face when it comes to learning new things, because they don't want you capable of critical thinking. They want you stupid. They want you dumb and compliant, and they want you to follow orders. And that's why it's such a major problem today. That it's important for a lot of people to learn how to teach themselves different qualities, how to learn new skill trades. It could possibly save their life. And that's why I always encourage people to read because it's probably one of the most Profound qualities of a human being that we're capable of doing We can be like animals, but we've evolved for a reason And not a lot of us are taking advantage of that We need to learn how to be multifaceted And that's why I think it's very paramount that we need to learn how to Evolve away from this planet Because this planet is not going to sustain us for long If only we knew how to get into other planets and how to inhabit other areas, then we would probably have a fighting chance.
1: In order to pass a very important great filter, I think we we need to be a multiplanet species. Um, but, this may sound somewhat esoteric to to a lot of people, but uh, it, like eventually, given enough time, uh, that's something Earth is likely to experience some calamity um, that could be. Uh, something that humans do to themselves, or an external event like happened to the dinosaurs, um, and um, but but you know eventually, and, and if if none if none of that happens, and somehow magically we, we keep going, uh, then the, the sun will ex- the sun is gradually expanding, um, and will in- engulf the Earth, um, and probably Earth gets too hot for uh, life in. Uh, about 500 million years. It's a long time, but that's only 10% longer than Earth has been around. And so if you think about like the, the current situation, it's really remarkable um, and kind of hard to believe, but uh, Earth's been around 4.5 billion years, and this is the first time in 4.5 billion years that it's been possible to extend life beyond Earth. And that window of opportunity may be open for a long time, and I hope it is, but it also may be open for a short time. And we should... Uh, I think it was wise for us to uh, act quickly while the window is open, just in case it, it closes. I mean, it's important to think of these things and just, you know, think of things as like probabilities, not certainties. Um, there's a certain probability that uh, something bad will happen on Earth. I, like, I think most likely the future will be good, um, but there's like, let's say, for argument's sake, um, a one percent chance per century of of a civilization-ending event. Like, that was Stephen Hawking's estimate. Um, I think he might be right about that. Uh, So then, you know, we we should basically think of this like being a multi-planet species as like taking out insurance for life itself. Like, life insurance? For life. Uh, We we can bring the the, the creatures from, uh, you know, plants and animals from Earth to Mars and breathe life into the planet. and and have a second planet with with life, um, that would be great. Um, They can't bring themselves there, you know, so if we don't bring them to Mars, then they will just for sure all die when the sun expands anyway, and then that'll be it. The the key threshold, um, the the great filter will have been passed when the city on Mars can survive even if the spaceships from Earth stop coming for any reason doesn't matter what the reason is, but if they stop coming for any reason, will it die out or will it not? So we're going to get Mars a Mars city to the point where it's self-sustaining. Um, I'm not sure this will really happen in my lifetime, but I, I hope to see it at least have a lot of momentum. And, and then you could say, okay, what is the minimum tonnage necessary to uh, have a self-sustaining city? Um, and there's a lot of uncertainty about this. So you could say like, I don't know, it's pr- probably at least a million tons. Um, you have to set up a lot of infrastructure on on mars um like i said you can't be missing any anything that in order to be self-sustaining you can't be missing like you need you know semiconductor f- f- fabs you need iron ore refineries you, like you need all, lots of things you know uh, so um and mars is not super hospitable it's it's the least inhospitable planet but it's definitely a fixer-offer of a planet you're gonna move at the speed of light through through space but you can make space itself move. That that that's like that, that's warping mm-hmm. space. If, um, space is is capable of moving faster than the speed of light. Uh, like the universe in the Big Bang, the universe, the universe expanded at much much more than the speed of light, by a lot. Yeah. Um. So. Um. But the if this is possible, the the, the amount of energy required to warp space is so gigantic it's boggles the mind uh right now uh the falcon 9 is the only reusable rocket out there that, uh, but it but the the booster comes back and lands i'm sure you've seen the videos uh and we get the nose or fairing back but we do not get the upper stage back so uh that means that we have a minimum cost of of, of building an upper stage um you can think of like a two-stage rocket of, of sort of like two airplanes, like a big airplane and a smaller airplane, um, and we get the big airplane back, but not the smaller airplane, and so it still costs a lot, you know. So that upper stage is, you know, at least ten million dollars, um, and then the degree of the, the booster is not as reu- it's not as rapidly and completely reusable as we'd like, in or the fairings. So, you know, our, our kind of minimum marginal cost not counting overhead for per flight is on the order of 15 to 20 million dollars maybe um so uh that's that's extremely good for it's by far better than any rocket ever in history um but uh with full and rapid reusability we can reduce the cost per ton to orbit by uh, a factor of 100. Just think of it like, um, like imagine if you had an aircraft or something, or a a car, oh, yeah. and, and if you had to buy a new car every time you went for a drive, it would be very expensive. It'd be silly, frankly. Mm-hmm. But um, but you, in fact, you just refuel the car or recharge the car, and that's uh, makes your trip uh, like <laughs> I don't know a thousand times cheaper. <laughs> so. It's the same for rockets. Uh, if you, it's, it's uh, very difficult to make this complex machine that can go to orbit, and so if you cannot reuse it and have to have to throw even any part of any significant part of it away, that massively increases the cost. So, you know, Starship in theory could do a cost per launch of like a million, maybe two million dollars, or something like that, um, and uh, and put over a hundred tons in orbit. Which is crazy.
2: Rolling the clock forward, you and Elon tweeted recently about population collapse. What do you think yeah. is going to happen there? Oh, well, I've thought for at least 10 years that the biggest problem in 50 years will be that there's just not enough people. The population collapse in developed countries is precipitous, right? It's like it fall, we fall off a cliff. I worked on it. U.N. committee, it's got to be 10 years ago now, um, to help draft the U.N. Secretary-General's report on sustainable economic development. And so I looked at all sorts of things like that. I was very curious, for example, about, because people have been beating the overpopulation drum since, well, it really kicked in in the 1960s, you know, because there were dire predictions. By the year 2000, the Club of Rome came out and said, well, there'll be riots and mass starvation and mass movement of of migrants and because there's too many people on the planet and that just didn't happen at all that was just that it wasn't just wrong it was anti-true it was absolutely wrong what happened instead was that everyone got way richer and the the bottom section of the population in terms of economic distribution got lifted out of poverty inequality still exists but that's that power law phenomenon we already talked about not that that's trivial it's just unbelievably difficult to determine what to do with. There are solutions, but certainly getting rid of capitalism isn't the solution. Um, And so I looked at population trends and first of all found, not that this is an act of genius or anything, that as soon as you educate women, the, the size of family shrinks precipitously, like below replacement. And that's partly because women have other options. I mean, all the, all the countries in the West are way below re- replacement. Korea is way below replacement. South Korea, Japan, way below replacement. Yeah, I think Nigeria will have more people in it than China by the end of the century. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Musk, you know, he's a far-looking man. And, and so he's looking around the apocalyptic corner, let's say. And, uh-oh, we're running out of people. And what that means, of course, is that you run out of young people. Right. You don't run out of old people first because everyone who is here now is going to be 30 years older in 30 years. And it'll be young people we don't have enough of. And of course, young people are the ones who do the innovation and are going to do most of the heavy lifting, etc. And so there's going to be a terrible shortage of young people. Yeah, well, and this idea that the planet has too many people on it, this is. So what do you mean too many people? Exactly. And what do you mean the planet? And what do you propose to do about that exactly? Or should we do something a little more dramatic? Maybe we'll just shame people out of having children. And I've seen people do that, literally. I saw a professor when I was at a a TED. There was a number of professors talking to a couple hundred students. And one of the professors who was an environmentalist activist type, and he got up on stage and shook his finger to the whole young crowd, saying that him and his wife had only decided to have one child, which was, in my opinion, one child too many for him. Mm -hmm. And told all the young people there if they had a shred of ethical decency that they would severely limit their reproductive potential and I stood up and said that I thought that that was the most one of the most appalling things I'd ever heard anyone in academia say to young people which is really saying something because they say plenty of appalling things and it was a very uncomfortable moment and he huffed off the stage but you know in a frenzy talking about how you couldn't talk about such things without being pilloried on ethical grounds and yeah that's for sure you come out as a what emissary of the academic establishment you tell young people that humanity is so corrupt that they should seriously consider not propagating because that violates the deepest of ethical norms and you think that's a good thing and that that's your right and it was just beyond comprehension it's beyond comprehension but it's associated with like a deeply rooted existential self-hatred so yeah it's it's unbelievable and a huge part of it's rooted in this existential shame and, and, and horror at the condition of being human and the fact that life is rife with suffering and a lot of it's unjustified. And, you know, it's a Mephistophelian position. So Mephistopheles was laid out, portrayed in Goethe's Faust. Um, that's the story of a man who sold his soul to the devil for knowledge. It's a story of intellectual pride and Goethe stands in relationship to German literature in the same manner that Shakespeare stands in relationship to English literature. and Goethe's Mephistopheles says straight out twice in, in the play, once in the first, there's two books, and once in the first book and once in the second. Goethe has him restate it twice. Existence is such a foul thing because of all its suffering, essentially, that it would be better if it was merely an- annihilated. And that's the Mephistophelian stance. This whole show should just come to a halt. Look at how corrupt people are. Evil reigns everywhere. It's nothing but will to power. We're destroying the planet um, with our unchecked ambition, all of it rooted in greed and, and, and Machiavellianism and jockeying for position. And we're so contemptible that we should just roll up and die. It's, it's unbelievably appalling. It goes all the way down to the bottom the bottom of things. That's what's tearing our culture apart, this dispute about the nature of existence at the most fundamental level.